Welcome to Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD. Here's your host, Dr. John Russell. In our country, a visit with your doctor outside of their office used to mean a house call. Now that visit might be as nearby as your phone. Welcome to ReachMD Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. John Russell. Today I'm joined by Dr. Judd Hollander, Professor of Emergency Medicine at Thomas Jefferson University and Senior Vice President of Healthcare Delivery Innovation. Judd, welcome to the show. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. So how would you define telemedicine? Well, it's one of those interesting things where a lot of people argue about definitions, but quite frankly, it's just taking care to the patients using technology so that you could deliver patient-centered convenient care. Usually we do it through audiovisual modalities, much like FaceTime or Skype, although that's not what we use for telemedicine, but it can be digital health applications through an app where it's asynchronous and you're not actually talking to the patient and seeing the patient at the same time. And there's store and forward methodologies where I might take a picture, attach it to a secure text and forward that picture for the provider to look at. So there's multiple different ways to do it, but I think the one thing that all methods have related to telemedicine or telehealth is that we're doing it in a convenient manner, and both the patient and physician or patient and provider are not in the same location. So how long has the average doctor been participating in telemedicine? Well, it's sort of fascinating because most doctors would tell you they don't do telemedicine, but every doctor in the world actually does telemedicine, maybe not the whole world, but we have all taken care of friends and family who've sent us text messages We've all taken care of friends and family, sort of not within the domains of our job, via Skype or FaceTime, and we've all done it on the telephone. So when people tell me telemedicine is hard and they don't know how to do it, the first thing I say is, you've been doing it. You've been doing it since the smartphone at least. You've been doing it for more than 10 years, and everybody sort of chuckles and giggles and realizes they actually are already doing it. So when I think about the evolution of this in the United States, you, you think about that person who's sick in Antarctica, and there's someone who's sending stuff down there. So this is something that's moved from something that we're using to treat people in remote places to treat someone around the block, correct? Right. Reality is it's about patient convenience. For me as a doctor, I'm going to spend X number of minutes seeing a patient. It doesn't really matter in terms of my time whether the patient's sitting in front of me and I'm physically seeing them, or I'm seeing them on video. I'm still spending enough time to take a good history and do a good exam. So it doesn't save me time as a provider. What it really does is make it more convenient for patients. And when we've queried our own patients, it doesn't matter whether the patient lives a mile away or actually is in the building and works at Jefferson or lives 50 miles away. Patients like the convenience. It saves the time. And really, I think our job as healthcare providers is to do whatever works for the patient. So it's not forcing them all into telemedicine, but even if you work around the corner from the office, it might be more convenient for you to do a telemedicine call than to come into the office. So for people across the country, their local hospital might be participating already in telemedicine through teleradiology or remote ICU monitoring. How prevalent is this in hospitals across the country? Well, teleradiology is huge. As you know, at many of our institutions that we work, the radiologists who work in our brick-and-mortar building go home at some time in the early evening hours. And we've been doing teleradiology, sending it to countries that are on the other side of the world, that our nighttime hours are their daytime hours. Those radiologists are credentialed at our shop. But it doesn't matter where you sit when you're reading an X-ray in a room. So we have the right expertise, and we could do it remotely, and it's more convenient for everybody. So you're innovating a lot of really cool stuff through Jeff Connect. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So I, I think the coolest thing we've done 
is we've let patients dictate where things work. And what we have tried to do is find ways to relieve pressure points for patients in the health system. I'll give you an example of a program we actually just substantially enlarged last Thursday, just a couple days ago. We're doing emergency department teletriage. So everybody knows it's horrible to come into an emergency department and wait hours and hours to be seen. So what we're now doing, for example, is seeing patients the minute they walk through the door of the emergency department, while they're still in with the triage nurse, we patch a doctor by video into the room. The doctor hears what the patient says, examines the patient, writes a note on the chart, and can initiate the orders. Now, that doctor is not the only one to see the patients, but that doctor gets the patient started before the doctor on site can see them later. So hopefully their labs and x-rays are back by the time the physician does the evaluation rather than just spend somewhere between 15 minutes and two hours just waiting to be seen by somebody. Another thing we have that's kind of unique is we have the Jeff Connect app, which is a direct-to-consumer model. So anybody in our area can call in and 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, they can see a Jefferson emergency physician. The same ER doc who works in our ER and urgent care centers will actually see you by video, and we're able to resolve about 75% of complaints um, for patients. We send a very small percentage to the emergency department, and, and most of them, our data shows, end up either need to be admitted or need a procedure. So we're really able to keep people at home but the other side of the coin is really important, too, because we found three people who called us effectively asking for permission to stay home who needed to go to the operating room. And so people who might have stayed home with appendicitis, and we do have one of those for real, mom called with a kid, kid had appendicitis, looked like appendicitis on video on a holiday. The doc said, I know you got people over your house, but you need to take your daughter to the ER and she ended up going to the operating room and had appendicitis. So we can also find people who are sick when the family members or, or the person themselves might have poo-pooed the illness. So I think it works on both sides of the fence. There's a whole bunch of other programs we have. We are effectively doing scheduled visits in every specialty by every physician in the enterprise for the patients who want them. We have a large neurostroke network where we go out into 38 other hospitals. We're opening some freestanding clinics that will come with labs and radiology and a video visit so you effectively can get all the care rather than just a video visit. So we have really tried to imagine what will make patients' lives better, what will make care more convenient, and then deliver on that promise. If you're just tuning in, this is Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. John Russell, and we're joined by Dr. Judd Hollander, Professor of Emergency Medicine at Thomas Jefferson University, and we're talking about telemedicine. So for the skeptical listener in any town USA saying, well, who's listening to someone's lungs? Who's listening to their heart? Certainly we can look at someone and we can get some vitals, but what about some of the other information that you and I like as clinicians when we evaluate patients? Sometimes someone comes into the emergency department and they need a CAT scan. You got to look inside their head. I can't do that in the ER without a CAT scan, and I can't do that in telemedicine without a CAT scan. Sometimes you need a neurology consult when the patient comes to the emergency department or any other specialty, and I need that consult. The same thing is true on telemedicine. No one should pretend that telemedicine lets you do anything or everything. It's just a care delivery model. It's one way to deliver care. At the point that someone is sick enough that I can't fully evaluate them, I need to send them to the next level of care to get a full evaluation. But 
primary care providers have all taken phone calls from asthmatics or people with coughs forever. And they've dealt with that over the phone. So seeing a patient is now better than not seeing a patient. And even if I can't listen to their lungs, there'll be some patients I really need to hear their lungs. But for the average person I could see and see their breathing easily, I generally could get done the majority of what I need to do. But I need to be smart enough to know I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect when I'm an emergency physician in the ER. I'm not perfect in urgent care. And I'm not perfect alone via telemedicine. And so the right thing is to ask for help or more tests when you need more tests. One of these things is I've become an older physician. I've even said to the residents, I, I really just want to eyeball that person. And it might not necessarily be that laying on a stethoscope. It's just it's that looking at someone. And sometimes we can really pick up something just by looking how someone looks that we don't get on the phone. You're exactly right. So one of the things for, and, and it really sounds like in Philadelphia and in the surrounding communities, you really have an amazing program. But for that person across the country, can people bill for this? Could you bill CMS? Can you bill other commercial insurers to have a video visit? Reimbursement is a nightmare. It depends where you are. There's nothing good I could give the listeners that will make it simple besides to say it's indifferent in every state, it's different with every payer, and it's different in every location. The one generic thing I could say that's really easy to understand is you need to be licensed where your patient is. And although most doctors don't know this, if you take care of a patient in Pennsylvania and they're traveling in Hawaii and they call you for help, you're not licensed in Hawaii. You've been taking care of that patient forever when they're out of town by telephone. That violates the licensing laws and statutes of the state where the patient is. So telemedicine is no different. I actually have licenses in 19 states. All of the people that do direct-to-consumer care in our area are licensed in at least three states because we're at the junction of New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Delaware, and we want to provide care in those areas. But then reimbursement, like every other reimbursement, depends on the payers, and telemedicine is lagging behind. So myself, I've had some really wonderful visits with some diabetics following up blood sugars for people following up on antidepressants to see how they're feeling. What are some of the other types of visits that you really that your clinicians have really kind of found are so, so helpful for patients who don't have to leave work then for half a day to come see me for 15 to 30 minutes? Yeah, so we've actually done it with almost everything. I think the place I would say where we've been really helpful is a lot of post-operative care. Because you can imagine if you've just had surgery, bouncing around in the car for 45 minutes and then walking through a medical center creates a little bit of pain. And if all I want to do is shake your hand, make sure you're okay, and see your incision, and just be there as a safety check, I can do that really easily via telemedicine. Pre-op assessments can be done via telemedicine. And then exactly what you're talking about, a lot of chronic care and discussions are really useful. The other areas we've done really well is counseling. So we have a smoking cessation program. We have nutrition programs for diabetics. We have nutrition programs for people after bariatric surgery. It's really figuring out where can you do better for patients. And one of the things we've learned is that the cancellation rate for office appointments is 50% decreased for telemedicine visits compared to regular office visits. So if you think it's important for your patient to see the doctor, you've got a better chance of them seeing you via video than seeing you in person. So here in the 21st century, we all seem to carry a television studio in our pocket, right? So does it need to be special 
HIPAA compliant or could you just do FaceTime with your patients? Yeah, you got to be HIPAA compliant. So FaceTime itself isn't really good enough. But there are some platforms that are relatively inexpensive that a solo practitioner can get and share with their patients to be compliant with all the right security and still do video visits. How would people document it? Is, is it any different than any other note that we would write for our patients? No, we document it in the medical record. We don't actually do most of our video visits through the electronic health record, although we do do some of them that way. But regardless of how you get to us, we document it like we would any other visit directly in the medical record so our patients can have access to it when they're not with us. And then we send a copy to their provider if they're not Jefferson patients, if they're seen by a, another health system in the area. We are all in the coordinating care, and we make sure that a copy of that record goes to the other providers. So, Dr. Hollander, as a professor, I'm sure you're studying this and kind of accruing what patient responses are. What has been the result of the data that you've looked at for patients? So the data is great, and I like to talk about the data with respect to four areas that National Quality Forum recommends for, for telehealth assessment. One is access, one is cost and cost effectiveness, one is experience, and one is effectiveness. And so in terms of access, it's easy. There's lots of data that patients get access more easily with telemedicine. There's not actually great cost data, but if you look at societal costs and you know that patients are staying home and patients are not traveling and patients don't have to pay for parking in urban Philadelphia, you know it's going to be somewhat cost effective. And when we've looked at our direct-to-consumer model that we've sized up, patients save about 100 bucks per episode of care compared to what they would have done if telemedicine wasn't here taking into account what happened after the telemedicine call. The experience on the patient side is unbelievable. We look at something called a net promoter score, which, which is something commonly used in consumer businesses. As an example, primary care practices across the country run a three. Cable providers run in the negatives. The Amazons and Googles will run in the 50 and above. It goes up to 100. We in our scheduled visit program are running about 60, and in our on-demand visit, run between 70 and 90 any given month. So the satisfaction for the consumers have been absolutely phenomenal. The provider satisfaction also is, as you might expect, the early adopters love it. The people that don't like technology have a little more difficulty with it. And then with respect to effectiveness, from a system point of view, system effectiveness, we've reduced our cancellation rate. We have better follow-up in the post-surgical area. And we've actually looked specifically at antibody antibiotic stewardship for patients likely to have sinusitis and compared it to the Choosing Wisely campaign and found we have better adherence in telemedicine than with any other modality of seeing the patient. Where do you think we're going to be as a country five years from now with regard to telemedicine? I think it's going to be much more reimbursed and consumers are going to do it a lot more. Five years ago, you didn't order food on your iPhone. You know, it was a cool thing to text and you could get on the web. Today, I just ordered a whole week's worth of lunches off my iPhone. I think consumer medical care is going to evolve the same way. I still have a tape I need to take back to a Blockbuster. I just can't find one that's open to, yeah. <laughs> to yeah. return my videotape to. You know how much money you owe for that library <laughs> book in the attic? Well, Dr. Judd Hollander, Thomas Jefferson University, a professor of emergency medicine, thank you so much for being on the program today and teaching us all about telemedicine. All right. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Clinician's Roundtable. To access this episode and others in this series, please visit ReachMD.com. We encourage you to leave comments and share this program with your colleagues. This is ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge.